Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Mulcast. Good evening. Good evening. <clears throat> Let me read and I quote. Ireland and Wales have played each other at Rugby Union since 1882. A total of 135 matches have been played, with Wales winning 70 matches, Ireland winning 58 matches, and seven matches drawn. Yes, that's right. I'm on the history of Rugby Union matches between Ireland and Wales Wikipedia page. One of my favourite types of Wikipedia page. Mine too. And I'm just going to say, every time someone complains about the atmosphere, I'm going to say, you got to think of it in the big picture here. This wasn't just... An easy win against a not good Wales team. This is us marking another one off the ledger. It'll take us another 12 years to catch up with Wales. Maybe if we throw in a few pre World Cup friendlies, maybe just a decade. And that's what's going 100%. That's, that's winning them all. So when people are talking about, they're going, oh, the Wales system is very weak. Good, we have to fucking <laughs> get, we have to get ahead of them. <laughs> so last Saturday, I was at the game and I saw us. Uh, mark another one off the, off the, uh, off the deficit. A uh, very comprehensive win. That got a bit weirdly edgy, but only in a way where it's like, "Geez, if Wales scored the next one, and then the next one, they get. <laughs> and they didn't actually score any tries in the match. They were just given one, and instead we scored four tries. They scored that. They were given that other one. Um, scored five tries, and the forward pass oh, was given was for the wrong harsh. forward pass. You should have yeah, given the one between Gibbo. Gibbo and James Lowe. Yeah. Well, let me let the me, one between Henshaw and Nash or whoever to Henshaw, Henshaw wasn't wasn't a forward pass. Yeah. Let me let me uh, finish my proposal. Go ahead. Um, Ireland played too much in front of Wales, who tackled gamely. Wales were, I think. Like in the Scotland game, kind of refereed back into it. Now, not that all the penalties they got were weren't penalties, but I felt like the referee found them uh, in the second half when they looked hopeless. And uh, I were were miles better, and it was a good performance. But it didn't, you know, did did it set your loins on fire? That's the question. <laughs> did it set my loins on fire? No, but I enjoyed it. Enjoy, um, I enjoy beating the Welsh as much as I dislike losing to them. Both of them is a high level. I really dislike it, and I really enjoy beating them. Um, so Ireland are also a really enjoyable team to watch uh, because of the variety and also because of how few mistakes they make. They play with a sense of... Uh, Brio, they're tough. They play different ways. Really know how to win a game. They're a very easy team to uh, like and admire. Like I, you know, <laughs> really proud of them. How they have picked up the baton again after 
too much fumble in the in the back line. Uh, after like they sort of, I wouldn't even say they dropped the baton, but like didn't didn't win the World Cup. <laughs> Fucking high bar there. Uh, but instead of it going into a France-like fugue state, they just said, business-like, fuck it, let's get on. We didn't do well. We didn't do as well as we wanted to do in that tournament. Let's go and do better in the next tournament. Like, pay the Six Nations the um, the respect it that great tournament deserves and go out and fucking wallop everyone they play in it. <laughs> so yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really liked, um, I like, I was trying to, I sent a list to you of players who I thought we'll talk about it. played really well. And I, I felt like Ty Byrne played so well. Doris is brilliant. And then you go, well, Jesus, like Crowley was really good. And geez, JGP was really good. Sheehan's always really good. Bundy was man of the match. I thought Robbie played really well. Ryan Baird came on and did brilliantly. Um, <laughs> you know, so, uh, like it's a it's a super team to watch. They're playing. Uh, people uh, in writing in the newspapers are maybe commenting on uh, message boards or on Twitter. Almost they they seem to have got used to the excellence and the amount of wins. And um, Jamie Hees have said, like, I, I wouldn't, um, I didn't actually see it because I was at the game, but I was, it was report, I think Mary Hannigan wrote about it saying, don't, don't get sick of winning or don't take winning for granted, rather was what he said. And sometimes you, you can, and sometimes you have to try not to and remind yourself, like, enjoy it. Um, but this team, you don't have to remind yourself because they're an enjoyable team to watch it's not just it's not just puking it over the line it's it's a case of like god like this this team plays exciting rugby they know different they can figure out different ways to score they figure out what's wrong with something if it's not working they can figure it out themselves they go out and they attack other teams they try and knock them down like the number of bumps that dan sheehan got on the touch lines when it's close and that you can hear the impact it's fucking brilliant. I, I'd rather a bump on the touchline than a bump in the middle of the pitch. <laughs> even if you get the, uh, even if you get the line break, it's just like when you see that impact close up, you know it's it's thrilling. Um, and then you had Ryan Baird making those great break, and then you know within fifteen seconds another great break where someone tried to pull the nicks off him and he <laughs> lost composure. Um, and then. You know, to get the try at the very end, a really well-worked try. Two of the tries were brilliantly worked, I felt. And Bundy was unlucky not to have his one given. Um, so just a really enjoyable game, an enjoyable fixture, and an, an enjoyable fixture list over the, the whole weekend. I thought the other two games were were great after what the previous weekend I felt was like a fucking a rare Six Nations dud. Not a vintage Six Nations. <laughs> Curious, you know, where, where where does it all end for, for this Irish team and for Andy Farrell? Andy Farrell's Irish team, I guess. Um, but I feel that, you know, like when when the history is written that you, people will sort of appreciate how special it was and like the stories that came out. I mean, there was a clip for the Full Contact, the Netflix show, where they, they I think they broadcast at the beginning of every 
show. And it was a clip of the Irish camp and it was about like, this is a high performance environment. And it's, it's a phrase that you hear an awful lot. Like I'd say every international camp considers itself a high performance environment, but this particular team has found itself proven itself, found itself to be created for it, created for itself, uh, whatever the best description, pretty created for itself, a high performance environment where it's kind of like watching New Zealand. Like this, this is finally what it must be like where you go, oh, like we're going to win. It's, 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 it's more a question of sort of how we're going to win. Like a lot of the drama has gone out of it. A lot of the jeopardy has gone out. I don't think people take it for granted. I think people really appreciate it. But it's, it's just a different way of watching sport. Like Ireland were 22-point favourites going into that match and they beat the spread. And, you know, like, I was really curious to see what Gatland would say after the match. Like, would he be in any way gracious? And he wasn't. Uh, and I sort of go, ah, never change, Gaddy. Never change. It's how I know it's you. Um, <laughs> and obviously, everything that he says, everything that he always says is always aimed at, its own, as his, own, at, his, at his own team rather than, you know, answering the question that he was asked or giving his honest opinion. And look, maybe he's just, he's, he's had to convince himself of it, so he says it. But I go back to it, like 22-point spread, and they beat it. And um, he's trying to, like, Gatlin's trying to find silver linings or making an argument for it. And you're going, do you know what? That was the same as last year's score. It yeah. wasn't the same score as last year. It was the same margin as last year. And about um, the same margin as year. I think it was 24 the year before that. Well, thank God I'm on the history of rugby union matches between Ireland and Wales. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, Are you ever off it? Ah, uh, sure. It's just leave the tab open. <laughs> um, the one of the things that when you said, oh, remind me of the All Blacks, the thing that really reminded me of the All Blacks in Ireland's performance. Ollie Yeager. <laughs> and the socks and his moustache. Well, no, it was, um, so there was a period with, I'd say, six minutes to go. Wales are camped in our line. We need to score. We've obviously won the match. We need to score a fourth try to get a bonus point. And part of you is going like, you could like expedite getting up the pitch here by letting them score, right? Yeah, Bill Belichick. And I, and I was just like, then you'll be kicking off down to territory, territory, make them exit. You'll get a ball 40 yards away from the, from the, from the try line. And they didn't. They were just like, they would, they meanly gave away penalties and gave away another yellow card until Wales fucked it up and they got the ball back themselves. And that was the most like New Zealand thing. New Zealand just like giving away scores of penalties until you fucked up on your, on your own line, yeah. on, on their line. Great point. And that was that, it was just so mean. And then to go the full length of the pitch to score the try in garbage time. In, yeah. And just mush it in. That like, is, the, like the Kiwis do. Like, you know, you've backed the Kiwis to back the handicap against Wales. And they're 12 points up going into like the 79th minute. And you're going, the handicap is 20 something. Going, <laughs> I think quite they're confident. still going to do it here, you know? It was 29 7, by the way. Uh, is that 24 ago. points? That's 22 points. That's Jesus. a good one. Now, what else to say about him? Uh, to credit the Welsh. I thought they tackled brilliantly in a really good technical tackling sense. The well, I thought there were numerous ones. The guy who spun John McCarthy in the air by just tackling him brilliantly around the yeah, the that was the loose head. 
and mm. then um, Garrett Cost- Davies Costello's repeated ankle tackles of Bundyaki when a half break looked on. I thought they were all so brave. And I Not thought Garrett Davies, Garrett it, Thomas. It made Ireland. Ireland kept passing and looking for the hole. And while they made half breaks, lads would get dragged down by just really good classic schoolboy tackles. Heads head in the right place a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, rather than using their body as a as a as a speed bump. So I think to give the Welsh credit, um they played like a team who really wanted to keep the score down. Yeah, and to give Gatton credit, he has like they started off the tournament like shockingly badly. Uh I missed that first half. I was on the way back from the Marseille game. But I came in and it was 20, they were 20 nil down. And I wasn't surprised. I Like, I think this Wales team is really short on talent. But then I did see the second half, which was, you know, really exciting. Uh, but like Wales, <coughs> Wales are really, they're a limited team. Um, when I say limited, I mean they have limited talent compared to a number of other teams in the tournament and they play a really limited game plan um so Costello and, and Crowley are about the same age um and wouldn't be far off in experience terms Crowley it was all over that game Costello was had very very few touches um and that's not solely Costello's fault it's the fact that Wales play an extremely limited game when they're attacking in the opposition half. They basically either pick or play pretty much solely off nine. They'd use their, their hooker as much as the first receiver, as much as they use an out half. And then when they get to about four phases, they fuck it up. Like they, they have George North in their team. They have Josh Adams, who's been a, uh, a you know an outstanding player, an outstanding winger in his time, and who's real dire. Who Josh Josh Adams' grandfather lives in uh, Cross Malina. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Nor did I. But anyway, sidebar. Um, but they've got pace. Like they've got Dyer. They've got a great finisher and a good runner in Adams. They've got George North, who's must have like 37, 38 international tries to his name. They can't get anything out of those lads. They play a very unsophisticated backline attack when they play a backline attack. They don't have much of any carry threat. Like Beard is a lumberer who's no pace. Daffa Jenkins looks... Daffa Jenkins, I don't know what to make of him quite yet. He looks a little more statuesque than I imagined he would be. The Welsh were really excited about him. More of a more of a line out type forward, a good line out type forward, good hard working player. Fucking not the next Alan Wynne Jones. Um Wainwright's really good. Reffel was kept quiet his the best part of his game, he couldn't get going. And uh and then the Alex Mann like didn't feature in that game at all. The blind side who had scored a try in each of his first two games. So like they've they can't really get an awful lot of go forward. They don't handle that well. They don't have a sophisticated set of plays in, in order to bamboozle or confuse opposition defences. 
Um, and, and like it does, there's, there's a sort of statement or a series of statements or a series of opinions I've heard that Wales are at the start of, Wales are at the start of their journey in Ireland or well on us. And so as though like all you have to do is get on the railway tracks and you'll arrive at the same station. That's not it, man. Like it's not a set of tracks, it's a road. You can go left, right. You can go left, then right. There's like, just because you pick young players does not automatically they're going to mean that they're going to progress every year, every year, every year. And then in four years' time, Gatlin's going to have this really great team with a great age profile who's just got better and better. Like you have to, like, players get better. Um at their own rate, and sometimes they don't get that much better at all. A word specifically for Jack Crowley. Oh, I, didn't, I thought Crowley was great. One thing which, um, uh, amongst other things, just before I go off on another massive tangent, kicked, like, all his kicks, um, which was great, including getting the, the last kick in the last kick of the game to, to beat the spread. Not that I'm a better, but I just thought like always happy to see a guy when the game is clearly won and when it's over, just to have the concentration to kick it over the bar. Uh, if that but, was a game of John Lowry rugby, I would have aimed straight into the crowd and booted the ball straight. Yeah, kick the ball at the racist <laughs> in the crowd. Absolutely. Like Roy Rocket. Yeah. Roy <laughs> um, so... I thought Crowley, we played through 10 an awful lot. We played, we attacked out of our own half. Crowley, and uh, certainly more in the in the second half, but a little bit in the first half as well. Frawley played it out half on either side of the pitch, which gave us uh, attacking options. Uh, he shows so much animation with the ball. Like he, he has little dummies or little kick dummies, or he does a little, like a major flinch move. He's really fit. Like you have to, you have to be fit to be able to, be, be that animated all the time. He rocks well. Uh, I think he gave us good shape throughout. He looked really confident. It's just such a, a real pleasure to watch. Um, it's the biggest selection change in 13 years, 14 years. It's him coming in for Sexton. And because it has gone so smoothly, it's like, oh, Crowley was always going to do well. It's not, he's not just like coming in to play out half. Like Sexton was the captain of the team, the undisputed leader. And Crowley has been, I'm not saying he's filled those voids because other people have stepped up to help with those. But like, it has been so smooth. Like, there's so much potential for that to have gone wrong. And for Ireland to have a really good team with with an out half who they can't quite get to to work the, to work the, you know, to fucking, to work the formula. Or whatever as well. So I really, I really enjoyed Crowley's performance, and I thought that Frawley meshed well with him. Um, and and that that was a true two tens on the pitch situation. Like Frawley plays a lot of, at midfield and has played quite quite a bit under Farrell, especially as a ten, or he's been in camps playing ten for Farrell, and. I thought he did. Well. I was delighted to see him get a try on debut. It's becoming a habit of of Irish players. Like, well, not necessarily a habit, but like Nash got one earlier in the in the tournament as well. And it's great for like I'm really happy for a player to have a great memory from 
you know, their first home match or their first Six Nations match. I think that's brilliant for them. Um, also, Gibson Park, like the halfbacks, are, like Gibson Park's playing at such a high level. Uh, in, in in everything he does, he makes such good decisions. He's become a big decision maker with Sexton having moved on from Leinster in Ireland. Uh, much more much more a decision maker now than he previously was. He, firstly, like the most basic choice, open or blind, before you're a kick pass run choice, before you choose and how to do any of those things. He makes so many good decisions. He makes quite daring decisions. Uh, he's a brilliant passer. As a support player, there's very few better in the world with Dupont playing sevens. He'll actually hit a rook if he is a support player and win rooks against uh, forwards or covering centers. So a guy who I just think deserves an awful lot of credit. Almost a perfect game from him. And um, yeah, it's really, really taught the halfbacks. Like, because we play off nine and 10, we play from inside our 20. In this game, we played from inside our 22. We played from everywhere in the pitch. And we have a lot of, a lot of moving parts and people moving about to receive the ball or to be the decision maker. Uh, it's just a very fluid, coherent, and yet also like quite daring team. Some, <clears throat> you know, you, you chat to different people after the match and uh, the week after the game, and you get different opinions. And you know, I heard a few that were critical of Ireland or of the you know the quality of the game, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, don't tend to engage. And then one of the guys. Uh, it's a very smart guy just said oh I didn't get to watch it you know kids stuff was on and he was going but like Keenan was out Ring Rose Hansen Hansen and Johnny Sexton so he goes more than half the backs from the World Cup from the starting 15 of the World Cup weren't playing and Ireland haven't missed a beat and I was I, I'd sent a text into sort of the Family Watts app group afterwards called The Uncatchable Slow Men, which is the name of a chapter from Stephen Jones' book about the 1993 Lions tour, um, where it was predominantly English guys. I mean, like a bit half the team is English, half the squad, half the squad was English, um, playing against <coughs> New Zealand provinces at that stage of the tour. And it's obviously one that has stuck with me. When is that? 93. So Yeah, that, Winter Colours, that, isn't it? Yeah, Winter Colours. So that would have been a Christmas book in 93. So it's, what are we talking about, 30 years ago? More than 30 years ago? Um, yeah, it checks out. <laughs> that All that time later, because I was there going, like, Arnon aren't going to make any real line breaks here. And even if they make a line break, they just get caught because... There isn't there isn't the juice in the team, but like it it doesn't put them off, like it doesn't stop them. Um, and then when Ryan Baird came on, it seemed to take everybody by surprise that Ireland actually had a player that was faster than everybody on the Welsh team. Um, and he did make line breaks. He made two line breaks. So, just that that high performance environment thing is is fascinating. Like, I mean, how he's as you were saying, like how they haven't. They haven't been affected by the hangover that they sort of say, oh, we want to go in, we want to be better. And you look at them and you're going better. Like the most impressive thing about that Irish performance, I thought, was just the standard of the tackling and the defense. Like particularly at the end of the first half, the Welsh made so many mistakes because they'd just been fatigued by trying to defend against Ireland. Now they're trying to attack against Ireland. And Ireland, more often than not, were quite, were quite frequently were winning gain line getting really big tackles in, really dominant tackles. Keelan Doris in particular, 
Um, but also Bundy, Tyg Byrne, Josh Vanderfleer got an, like a great oh, hit. Josh and Adams, you're going, yeah. Jesus, like they're just like all of these guys are, are getting better, sort of just incrementally better. Like it's, it's an incredible team to come into. Um, I know that they like going back into camp. That that seemed to be apparent from very early on in, in Farrell's um, tenure. And you sort of go, Jesus, it sounds like, you know, a backhanded slight on, on Joe Schmidt. But, you know, the further away from that, from, from Joe's time that you get, the more you sort of go, no, no, they just seem to, they just seem to really like it. Like, I don't, they don't, they're not looking backwards. They're not making any comparisons. They're not saying, oh, it's better than it used to be. They just say, no, no, it's really good to go into. And I think as a consequence of them being happy when they go into work, they've just got better, which is, it's so impressive, really. Yeah, and I was I was making this point uh, to you guys on a on a WhatsApp message earlier. It's like a lot of the like we're seeing now is a team which have like an experienced team which have a hard edge, and it's it's very tempting and partially true to go just to show McCarthy coming running around like throwing his weight around, and it is. But it's also guys uh, like. Keelan Doris and Dan Sheehan, who over the last two years have played a huge amount of international rugby. Like Doris has played 27 internationals since the start of the 2022 Six Nations. Wow. Which is just bonkers. And, and Sheehan has played something like 22 or 23. You know, it's, it's like that amount of like tests Basically, for Doris, it's just over a test a month. And for, for Sheehan, it's just under a test a month. Those guys who are in their prime by being, which, which, you know, which means having, you know, you're at your peak athletically and you've also built up a load of experience. Those guys are becoming such dominant players um, that I think they have more, so much more confidence on the pitch. Um Incidentally, Porter only started playing Loosehead again back in, in that 2022 Six Nations when we won the Triple Crown and lost to France. Um, you know, so in the 2021 Six Nations, he was still playing Tighthead for us, which is which is interesting. Porter, I thought, had a really good game. The ref didn't get on his back, just allowed him to scrummage. And, and I don't think he made any big changes to how he scrummages. It was a case of the referee is going, that's straight and square enough for me. And that is all it's ever going to be. It's going to be a ref's decision on whether that's straight or square enough. As I was saying, like, there's no radian marks on the pitch to say, oh, you have to be within f- five degrees or 10 degrees or 15 degrees. It's like the ref basically makes the decision. And he had Aserati, he was giving Aserati a really hard time. There's a scrum. There's a scrum near the Welsh line in the first half when Wales got, like in fairness, Wales took a quick heel, got the ball out really quickly. But Aserati went in a relatively sort of normal, you know, scrummaging posture. And the first thing he did was like, he just shot his feet backwards. He was like fucking smooth criminal. <laughs> he was leaning over so much. If Porter had just, like, just, just given him a little pull, he would have just fallen flat. And like he was there going, this fella, if I'm trying to, wrestle this fella i am on toast uh so he just got his feet back as far as he could and he's you know he's he's at about like he's at about 
12 degrees off the ground just enough for water to run downhill a slope like <laughs> um so i thought porter like i you know i was mentioning all the other guys and i feel like oh porter the tig had a great game tiger's his handling is really good again he looks so lively i thought ollie yeager looked you know very comfortable when he came on he did good rugby playing things like when he recognized early if a scrum half wasn't at the back of of a rook and passed well he hit the first rookie hit was midfield break i think maybe kelleher's one and he just obliterated the welsh guy so that was a good debut for him and you know it's just like the the difference though between how ireland played a game and how wales played a game like the Welsh fans, like people can take whatever opinion they want. They might have been really prepared for this to be a, a dreadful, dreadful Six Nations for them. And they're taking the crumbs of comfort that they can get from it. But like, Ireland are like a very, like Ireland are in a different league than Wales. Really different league. Well, I'll give them their biggest crumb of comfort. They're singing oh, from the stands. Very good. Uh, was remains unparalleled. Uh, I've moved on to a different Wikipedia page. It's the history of games between Ireland and England. Oh, what's how are we doing on that? One? So we've won the last four in a row. Uh, one of which is the the pre World Cup warm up. So our actual all time streak against England is five. Best ever when uh, in two thousands was it? Uh, that's incorrect guess. Uh, would you like to proffer a guess when we won five in a row against England? Uh, late 40s, early 50s, I'd say. 72, 73, 74, 75, and 76. All in the Five Nations. Wow. Yeah. So we we beat them in four, beat them in five, beat them in six, beat them... Oh, we lost them in eight. Yeah. Danny Cipriani. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I feel like I'm usually quite level-headed about these things. Um, I'm not superstitious about this Irish team. Is there any reason why England should give me pause to my superstition? I remember that game two years ago. We were miles ahead of them and playing miles better than them. And we had four, they were 14 men for like the first 70, minute. 79 minutes, yeah. And still I was like, I fucking put them away! And it might have been because it was in London, not at the game, but in London watching it. So my, uh, you know, blood was up higher than usual. Um, in that Grand Slam game last year, we kind of fluffed our lines for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. They got another red card. We put them away. Um, they were just beaten by Scotland. They barely beat Wales. No, but playing, playing away is always trickier. Like it's... Um, most teams, most players tend to not play as well away from home. And you see, I think I, I can't remember when I said this, maybe about the France match. I remember saying it recently, or maybe saying about Leicester going to La Rochelle. You see, you see stress points in players that you hadn't noticed before that you didn't realize was there. Uh, playing in Twickenham in front of, like, I've never been to Twickenham for the Irish English game. Um, it seems difficult to get tickets. Really, enough. really hard to get tickets. Um, and it seems always full of, like, if there's 82,500 people there, it's 82,000 Tories. Like, and it's, 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 um, I think the English aren't playing well at the moment. 
and that Ireland are, and it should, like Form 9 says that Ireland will win it, and I think we will win it, but you never really know how those English games are. I think we'll beat them. Um, but it's, it's, I just... Um, I was being cold-blooded about it, I'd say we'd be absolutely kicking ourselves if we don't win a Grand Slam in this tournament. Yeah, like we're the which best is, team in it. Which is... Oh, completely! Say. Like Eng- England is a tough matchup for Ireland. Um, I guess the physicality is the main thing. Um, their sort of mentality, like they expect to beat Ireland, but nonetheless, like Ireland have played different in three different games, and they played well in all three without sort of replicating any one particular pattern where you go, oh, if you stop Ireland doing this, then you'll, uh, you'll turn them over. Like, the obvious one is the scrum. Um, it's long be the case. I mean, you can think of a few matches in, in Twickenham in particular where England have had the upper hand in the scrum and Ireland have just found it really, really hard to stay with them um, and have fallen apart or fallen away, rather, um, it's really only 2012, I think, that the team fell apart um, before there was two props on the bench. But other than that, like you, you, it's it's just hard to stay with England. Um, they tend to get their chests out. Uh, they get a more, you know, just the crowd is louder. It gets behind them. But it's, it's tough not to see this Irish team just finding a way to beat England, just being more patient, not being shaken, having different threats in different ways. Um, England haven't been a free-scoring side in this at all, in this tournament at all. They haven't been able to... Um, they haven't been able to score tries easily. I just said the same thing twice in different ways. Well, after their their lovely move for the first try against Scotland, your pal Neil, who we were at the game with, said... That's the best bit of attacking play they've had in about five years. Yeah, Furbank's try was good, yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, the second try wasn't bad either, but it's both, both completely out of the blue. Yeah. Yeah, they found it difficult to replicate. So I think the discussion with the Irish team, that's maybe taken up the most bandwidth now this week, is do you go 6-2 or 5-3? So even, even that decision, even the fact that like it isn't clear cut, so it used to be that we didn't have a bench. And then it was that, well, we sort of do have a bench. Like, we've got pretty pretty good bench. And now it's that you can't even decide how good your bench is going to be. So, you know, so you're sort of going, shit, like, we're able to bring off the bench. Obviously, Kelleher is going to be there anyway. But, like, Conan and Ryan and Baird. And you go, like, that's like it's powerful weaponry to have. But you have to give up one of your backs to do it. Now, it's almost that when you don't have the choice, it makes it easier. So, like, when is Frawley your best 23? But you're looking at Ringrose coming back and you're going, okay, do you pick Ringrose to start? And it's hard to drop Bundy or, or Henshaw. And so you sort of go, well, you have to put, pick him on the bench. If you pick him on the bench, you have to go 5 3. So then you go, like, who are you sacrificing in, in the forwards? And the fact that he picked Stuart McCloskey on the team and played in the wing, I'm sort of curious, like, what do you think the Irish team's perception of wingers and or backs is, backline players? Yeah, I think it's like the, I think it's like the 2011 All Blacks. You know, the 
phenomenal wingless wonders that played with Kahui. And they didn't play the final with Kahui, but they played like Corey Jane and Kahui with a wingers. So fullback and a center on the wings. They're going, because these are really good players. I know they played another game with Sonny Bill and Kahui. So you had two centers on the wings. So, and the All Blacks had, like, had great wingers and always you know, have a great winger that they can pick. And so I think the, I think Farrell um, wants, wants intelligent players who play well, who are real good competitors. And he sees a lot, and this will lead on to something else, I imagine, as well as another topic conversation. He sees a lot in how players, uh, their competitive edge, and he puts an awful lot of belief in that. And players who are great competitors, and they're going, I want this guy. Rugby is rugby. You can do it once you're out there. We'll train you. You have the competitive edge that I'm looking for. So, ergo, you get in my team. This guy might have more talent. I like talent. I prefer the competitive edge. The guys who get in my team have both. Um, so I think with McCluskey, like McCluskey's like fucking not a winger. McCluskey's a 12. He's not even a 13. He's not even a 13, yeah. You know, and the way that we played, like we kept guys, we kept basically one person on each wing, like on the wing, on the touchline throughout that game. Bundy was on the wing a lot of the time. Doris was on the wing. Dan Sheen. Dan Sheen was on the wing. And it's like, None of these guys are wingers, and we're still like cross kicking to them. And it's like, okay, because it doesn't really matter. Like, you're going to win a contact, and McCloskey will win a contact, and Dan will win a contact. Bundy obviously is going to win contacts. No one's going to run away. James Lowe isn't even going to, he is a like, fast winger. Uh, no, probably Nash is fast, but we're not going to blaze through people like Lewis Reese Samet. So. I don't think he's I don't think he's super worried about that. It's like this is all part of I know what you can do and I'm gonna pick you for watching him. He's not gonna worry about things that you don't have. Um McCluskey, I still still think like McCluskey on the bench was I understand why he did it. Like we we have like we are short in the back three just of players. We've got injuries and then we also had two retirements of other foul favourites in Earls and Conway. And now you've got O'Brien injured, Hansen injured, Ringrose injured, and Hugo Keenan. Keenan injured. It's like we're shy in the back three. And as you and your texting pal were making clear, like we made light of that. Um, like Ringrose, you you think, like, what a great 23 to have, bring him on. But realistically, you can completely plan what your forwards are going to do. It's much easier to plan forward substitutions. And I'm not saying when to bring them on. It's like these guys are absolutely going to be involved in the game. You know, they're going to have heavy involvement from the moment they come on because, like, forwards have scrums, lineouts, restarts, loads of rucks, loads of breakdowns to get involved in. You're never going to die wondering about bringing a forward on. Oh, you couldn't really get into the game because he was stuck in the forwards. Like, you know, that's not something that happens. So you, just like with Razzie, and I'd, I would be interested to know if, if there was an analysis done of how many three quarters get injured in, in an international game. They just go, well, this doesn't happen very often. So let's just pick pick where we need, where we know we're going to get benefit of our, out of our bench. So I think yeah, going to the England game, I think he will go 6-2 again. I expect him to go 6-2. Because it really works for us. Like we have got the talent there and we have loads of missing players in the back line. It's not like, 
oh, we're leaving out Mack Hansen or Hugo or whatever like that. We like we're, sh- we're shy players, particularly with Keenan coming back. It means that Frawley becomes your twenty-three, yeah, and he's played a Test match of fullback, yeah. So they're going. Well, he's, he's covered the most he, two he difficult positions. Covers like ten, twelve, arguably thirteen. Yeah, but he does. He does. He does that team yeah. and fifteen and. So like it's a wingless team anyway. Yeah. Um, she so just put Gibbo on the wing and play Murray at scrum as he half, did against Scotland, which means Ringrose doesn't get in. Yeah, you know. Which um, I I was shocked because I thought Ringrose is back, so he'll be great to have at twenty three. And I go, would I drop him for Ryan Baird, which is like the likely. Yeah, that's true. And I go, no. I play like I know that Ryan Baird is going to get on. He's going to get he'll loads more action. Than Ringrose. And England, where, like, where are England strong in the forwards? Like, what's the most likely outcome for England to beat Ireland is? They beat you up front. They beat you up, up front. So then you're sort of going, well, do you not want to have, like, six forwards to bring on? All uh, of them really good. All of them really good. Saint-Andre going in like a... This Six Nations would have been a lot better if uh, Cosmic Rugby Justice had been done and France had lost all their games. Because then Italy would have had an away win and Italy would be feeling better about themselves. And they've got games in Scotland and Wales still coming up. And Scotland would be going for a Grand Slam with the games against Italy and then travelling to Ireland. Now, Hmm. I just think that would be, it would have been, a lot better. Instead, you had this sad sack French team who have a win and a draw and a loss. Okay, we're going for nothing. I'm just going to be shit in their last two games. Anyway, probably lose to England. France have been dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Like, they deserve to lose against Italy and they deserve to lose against Scotland. You know, you can take the viewpoint fairly legitimately that, that Scotland should have done more when they were wouldn't say boss in the game, but when they're in a comfortable position to win it. But like we said at the time that we, we all thought they could try, they'd probably scored that try to win it right at the death. They probably did. In this game, probably at like a 98% probably. Yeah, very probably. Yeah. Uh in this game, like the ball fucking Garbisi man puts the ball down <laughs> like it's an indoor stadium. Uh the ball falls over. And then the French fella charges a penalty. Now you can say, "Oh, that's harsh to charge penalty." Like, there's so uh, there's so many decisions in rugby on the pitch which you can view as harsh. You can view every decision in rugby as harsh. Listen, when the fact is, it's a penalty. When the All Blacks got to do a retake of their conversion against us in 2013 for Luke Fitz charging early, a slightly early charge of the conversion, your man missed anyway. Yeah, and Luke Fitz was nowhere near him. No one went. Well, that sucks. We would have got a draw against you all, but it was just like, no, that's the fucking rule. You, you yeah. Get, you get a second go. So your man Ripley... And Wales got to block down the conversion last week when, like, your man took a step to the side because he was, you know, still fidget. Yeah. Like... So Ripley made a poor call there. Like, it's a bad call. Garbisi was still on the clock. He had to take it quickly and he did look and he was tired and everyone on the pitch was tired and Garbisi's kick was tired. It was a bit of a looper. Banging it off the post. Italy deserved to win that. Uh, and then, you know, France could really, like they're within a gnat's breath. breath. 
of of being zero from three, and they look shit. I I appreciate what you're saying about the the sort of the, the cosmic justice of it all and, and how much cleaner it would be. But I also like I do like the sort of the human element, and I like the fact that um, even over five games, the sort of the beginning of the Six Nations is very different than the end of the Six Nations. Like it begins in the cold and the dark. And it ends in a bit of warmth and a bit of sunlight. And another bank holiday for us. And another bank. <laughs> but bookended by bank holidays. Um, and just that sort of idea that, you know, which, which guys still have it, which guys are able to stay the pace, which guys are too old, which young guys have announced themselves. Like, it's, it's, I think the fact that it is five games you sort of have to let the thing, you have to let it evolve. You have to let it breathe. And I really appreciate that. Like one of the, I suppose the interview I most enjoyed reading during the week. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't take it down because I don't, I didn't think he said anything out of the ordinary than what anybody else would say. But, uh, Ollie Yeager was talking about like his approach to getting capped and playing in front of his family and the fact that he'd gone over to New Zealand because he hadn't been given a place in the academy and his a lot of his family were there at the match and then like the anthems playing and meeting his meeting his family on the touchline afterwards and how much it meant and you know, Jerry Thorne was going, oh, I thought the atmosphere was flat. And you're going, you thought the atmosphere was flat from your lovely privileged place in the uh, in the press box, Jerry? Like, with your, how does it, do you even pay for your ticket? Like, how, how does it work in the Irish Times? Like, you're there to work. I'd imagine it, it, it gets expensed or does it just get given to you? And I was there thinking to myself, hang on, like, there's, there isn't the jeopardy when you're watching Ireland. So I go back to what I was saying earlier on. Like, for an Irish team, it's it's like, it's like for a New Zealand crowd right at the moment where you go... Like, the Irish crowd know what's going on. I was at the match. People were engaged with it. People weren't getting up and down to get drinks all the time, constantly. People were talking to each other because they're there with people that they like. Like, it's an opportunity to to have a conversation. But, like, when Ireland scored, people stood up and cheered and people shouted. When Andrew Porter was animated, people were animated. But, like, people know Ireland are a good rugby team. Like, this, this is what happens. There isn't the kind of the, like, the feral sort of wildness of shit it might happen. Like, it, it's just, it's a well-oiled machine. Yeah. But for Jaeger, it's still an emotional high. Like, it's still a really motion, an, an emotionally charged match. Similarly for Italy, it's, you could see how disappointed they were afterwards. And you're sort of going, like, it doesn't matter. Now, I, I personally think that because it happened in the 80th minute, I thought Ridley's concentration was just gone. So I think I. he was kind of going, what do I do here with the shot clock? Like, what is it? Do I stop the shot clock? Do I do I restart the shot clock yeah. and give give Italy another penalty? Like, the French haven't run up and blocked anything. I've just told them they're to stop. And they can't, they're not allowed to move. But you see, like, if that was last season when there was no shot clock, Garbisi just stands there, respots the ball, takes his time to compose himself. You don't, you don't have to give it to them again. Like, it's just it's a penalty from the same place. Garbisi's not rushed. The shot clock is the is 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 the jeopardy bit. It's it's the newly introduced bit where Garbisi's going, shit, I have to take it within this a lot of time. And you're sort of going, really, you haven't got your head around this. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's not... 
Ridley got flustered. He Rid- Ridley got flustered and just hadn't gone through that scenario at the end of 80 minutes in an indoor stadium in France. Incredible. Like, it was a really good test match. Really intense. And you're sort of going, again, it's that human element that's that's pretty cool. And, like, okay, great, it would have been really good if, it, if the Italians had won. It doesn't really matter. Like... They're not going to get rid of Caseda. There's no knives out for Caseda. It would have been really nice for the Italians to win. But I think you're looking at the, the first half and the way the Italians defended in the second part of the first half. And you're going, where the fuck was this during the World Cup? But it's it's here now. It's really good. And like you're looking at Menoncello, who, who can play center playing in the wing. And mm-hmm. you're there going, just put himself and Brex in the center beside Garbisi. That's your midfield. Pick Scalabrine for your last two test matches. The under 20, just get him on the pitch. Winger pass. score young. And like this guy just scores tries. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know who he plays for in senior rugby, but you just just get him in. And they're they're looking good. So you're sort of going, like, will Italy beat Scotland? It's in Rome. Like, and I guess more to the point, it's not more to the point, but like as importantly, how many people will turn up for that match? Because in recent years, the Italians have they've been the only non-sellers. Maybe had, maybe in some matches had the upper tier closed. Mm. Certainly in some matches had the upper tier open, but large swathes of empty seats. And they sort of push like the crowd where the cameras are going to be. But then in a different shot, you look at it and you just go like there aren't people there. And it's like, oh, when are they going to have relegation or get the Georgians in? Italy are a disgrace. And you're just like, oh no, lads. There's, there's so many reasons why the Italians should be in the Six Nations, which we've talked about. And I'm curious now, like, what's the bandwagon's momentum yeah. in Italy? Will they get because, 65k into Rome? Like, like this match is on the 9th of March. Like, this should be this should be a nice day out. And you're sort of going to yourself, this 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 team is good to watch, and they could win. Like their try, all the build up play for their try uh, in the second half. It was fantastic. It was like watching the French team, a good French team from the 1990s, coming from depth, coming from directly behind the ball carrier, giving a late call, keeping like the three, the three sort of offloading options, like the reach through, the bounce off the ground, and then the very late, you know, sort of illegal <laughs> throw off the ground. You've been tackled, you're now two seconds later, you pop it up. Like they had all of that going on. They had good handling. It was like watching a very, very good Barbarians or French team play in terms of their pace. Brex is such a clever player. Like, you can see Brex in, like, the ghost of so many or the ghost of other good 12s. Like, those hard-nosed, intelligent 12s who lack a tiny bit of foot speed. And they're just going, to still pick him in my team so quickly. Oh, Brex is class. But, I mean, the best bit was the Italian defence. It was that, like, so often the Italians just, like, get in their own way. Mm. Or, like, during the World Cup, they're... Like, now they were god-awful. They were just, like, they're, they weren't there. And I guess, again, it's it's that idea of the emotion. Like, defense is a big... The, there's a large technical element, to, but more than anything else, it's a mentality thing. That, you like, first and foremost, you have to want to do it. And... You have to be you're, scared to fail. You yeah. have to be scared to fail. Like your your technique will really help you. And like that just was not there for the Italian team as recently as the World Cup, but it is there now. And like that's the best, but that's that's the bit that people react to. Mm. So 
um, like there's, there's two matches left in this tournament and I think how the Italians finish will determine their relationship with the Italian public far more than the amount of points that they end up yeah, with. Yeah, like okay, that's a good if, point. If they end up with like five or six points or however the points are allocated as bonus points for tries. But like, sorry, basically what I'm saying is like, you know, if you get two for a win, one for a draw, if they end up with five or six points or three or five points or whatever, like it, it, it's, it's really the last two matches and the momentum that will you know, sort of put, put, put that team into hearts of people. It's also the, their game against Wales is, is a very interesting game because Wales have, like Wales have such, I don't think many Welsh fans listen to us, so they're not going to go, what about our second half against Scotland? Second half against Scotland is a team like who have already lost the game. The Italians are a better around. attacking team. Much better. Like I was, I, I looked up the, the numbers. The Six Nations website isn't as good. It used to have an amazing stats page, but it's still quite good. Not as good as it used to be. But the five Welsh three quarters, including Mason Grady when he came on, ran for a combined total of 46 metres against Ireland. Like, they have no fucking backline attack now. And they go, you know, that at the same time, you know, Cameron Winnett has run for the most metres and he has the most carries. You know, he's loads of carries. He's fuck all clean breaks and he never passes. Like, he is a good, brave player. Like, he's, he's a player who impressed pretty much everyone in the stadium. He's good in the air for, for anybody, particularly so for such a small man. He's brave. He covers the ground really well. He makes up the ground that's catered to him. He sprints back towards the line. But like, then he just gets tackled. You know, so yeah, you made 30 meters and just got tackled the first time. Nobody plays off him. Like the, when, when somebody kicks to Nash or somebody kicks to uh, Crowley or somebody kicks to Frawley, they go, well, I'm not just going to come back where the kick went to. I'm going to throw it. The first thing is I'm going to move everything by throwing a big pass or I'll throw a dummy and then move or do something. Whereas like both Costello and Winnett, when they caught the ball in the backfield, they're just there going, which is something not, like I'm not totally against it, but the lack of variety, they're just there going, I'm just going to pelt it back up to the line so I can get tackled. Like they have no method. They haven't, they haven't shown any reliable method of like, this is how we'll attack in our back line. And Italy do have one. Italy are more inventive. I think that they're just as skilled. And then you have two great defences, two motivated defences, two, two young captains as well. So that game is really, really interesting. Uh, I, know, I know that's not totally the next skill. game. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but then the rest of the tournament is just uh, give it to Doohan, right? Give it to fucking Doohan. Give it to Doohan. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else to say about that team other than give it to Doohan? No. No, I like it. I... I like I'm, I'm not one of these people who's always oh, really slow turnovers, bad kicking. I don't fucking care. Look at that fella run. Like that is, that is so rugby, so Six Nations. Like look at this giant. I know he's a South African, like, but it's still like this giant, fast, well balanced runner. Like these got great moments to watch. You're going like. This guy is just an absolute treat to watch play rugby at the moment. Do you reckon he can put so the ball down himself? Do you reckon he can put the ball down with his left hand, or was he just trying to get as close to the touchline as possible? Because he switched the ball to the yeah, wrong hand, which I thought looked great. I thought he was trying to make sure that he went over the line in his own terms, yeah. rather than 
get knocked it, and that might put his legs out into touch because he wouldn't be in control. Yeah, Whereas right. he knew if I jump this way, he, the guy won't be able to touch me. Yeah, that that's what I think. I agree. Um, and you know we were talking we were talking about it watching that match. Like that, that was the first international England Scotland, and then you know that there's just a different vibe between Wales and England and Scotland. Like they're very much the junior partners. Like in you know they both really really want to beat England. Like obviously we want to beat England, France want to beat England, everybody wants to beat England, but. You know, you don't have to get in the plane. You don't have to get in the boat to go to those matches. Mm. You can just drive up if that's your thing. Obviously, you know, a lot of people would fly up from the south of England to get to Edinburgh. But um, I think, again, for the Scottish team, it's it's really memorable. Like, it's it's a real highlight. It's a massive career highlight for, for Duan. Um, John Dodson, we talked about it briefly, John Dodson, Recently retired as the as the chief executive of the Scottish Rugby Union, fairly hard nosed guy, rubbed a number of people up the wrong way. But again, like there's a buzz in Murrayfield. Um, it looked a really good atmosphere. Um, it wasn't a, like it wasn't a very good rugby match. It certainly wasn't as good as watching Ireland in in terms of quality. But again, like that that emotional connection, people will remember Duhan scoring his hat-trick and like refer to it and and he'll get a massive buzz out of it so like that's that's it that's the tournament like England England fulfilled their role as turning up as bad guys who kind of fell over each other but like kept on gamely trying and just fucking couldn't catch Duhan and like it was it was like a perfect set piece in terms of what people want to see from an England-Scotland match so in summation Ireland should be worse and get more scrappy victories against uh, England and everyone will be happier no no no, no but there'd be a, there'd be an atmosphere though oh the atmosphere yeah like, I was at that game as well I was like a, not the same point as you make like get your tickets you know f- f- like from the rugby club like there's people there in their 50s or 60s who brought their wives because They've been in the rugby club for 30 years, like coaching teams, playing in teams, being ringing up people all the time, going to people's houses to try to convince them to come to training. You know, and they've done a lot for their rugby club. They know the secretary or the, and they ask for a take and pay for it and get it. And they bring their wife because their wife wants to go because like it's it's a thing to do. And like her husband's been down the rugby club for 30 years. Like those aren't those people aren't gonna get fucking replica jerseys paint their faces and like bring Vuvuzuelas to the game. Just got to go to the game, watch it, and talk about it. I like, sorry, like that they're not fucking good enough fans for you, Jerry. Yeah, I, I, I don't get what the frame of reference are and I didn't know how much time we'd spent talking about it because I was there gone. I can't believe this is, it was the same after the Italian match. Like, like, like are we talking about this? Like, is this the... Because we we talked about it extensively. We talked about the age profile that goes to matches, standing room at matches, terracing at matches, cheaper tickets. You know, Ticket cheaper prices. tickets. We know about the Sunday fixtures. I actually thought the atmosphere was pretty good. It was grand. It was absolutely fine. And the other thing is, like, if you want a really great atmosphere, go, go to Anfield. Put it on at nine o'clock and fill people up with booze and make it like the south of France. And then everyone will be in a fucking great mood all the time. Oh, it's also, it's your holidays and you don't have to go to work on Monday because you're on holidays. Now th- there are there are things that like I don't know how the IRFU organized their 
entertainment for want of a better like I don't know who does it I don't know if they do it in-house or if they outsource to somebody but at some stage during the first half on the big screen and I just looked and, over and, like, and I was like like this roar louder than a jet engine I started out a counter and I was like like just what a non-secular who decided to press that button who decided in the first place it'd be a good idea and it was like zombie being played after every try well, against the Italian match. And you're just there going, just this little snippet of zombie, which again <laughs> we talked about. And you're just like, like who th- who thinks who thinks this is a good idea? Like this is <laughs> like putting up red Vodafone ads everywhere when we're playing Wales. Yeah. Oh, I so, thought of that. So God, a lot of things passed so like, me, boys. I don't, <laughs> I don't like I don't think they helped themselves with that, but I, I don't think that's the issue. Um and I'm really looking, like I'm really looking forward to the English match. I'm really looking forward to the Scottish match. And I don't know what more is there to say. Give it to Duhan. Give it. 